Good morning. My name is Tellus Fuller. I'm the youth pastor here on staff and really, really, look, really happy that you guys are in the house of the Lord today. We've been focusing on the presence of God for the past few weeks. Last week, talking about how the presence of God is our prize, that the goal of our year is the presence of God. If you will, our keystone habits, the one thing that touches everything is the presence of God. We had an opportunity to fast last week, open our year with prayer and consecration. And as we did this, we felt a manifest, tangible, real moment of the presence of God for our night of worship this past Friday. And so I want to thank everybody who engaged in the fast, who was praying, who consecrated themselves, gave up something that they wanted, something that they needed, denied themselves for the sake of devoting themselves to God because it was felt. It was felt in the room. I believe it was felt in your homes, and I believe it's going to be felt in our city. And as we move forward into this month, we're going to stay focused on this topic of presence, deeper into the presence of God. And so we're going to be in two passages of scripture this morning. One is going to be in Genesis chapter one, right in the beginning. And the second is going to be in John chapter 11, Genesis chapter one and John chapter 11. It says this in Genesis chapter one, verse two, and then we're going to jump down to the end or towards the bottom in verse 27 and 28. Genesis chapter one, verse two, and then uh, verses 27 and 28. It says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And listen, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We'll jump to verse 27 and verse 28 of Genesis chapter 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now we're going to jump to John chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. John 11, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, and Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, We'll stop there. Verse 36. Amen. See how he loved him. Wow. What I want to title this message for us this morning is the power of presence. The power of presence. Will you pray with me for a moment? Lord, we submit this time to you and believe, God, that you are going to do something with this moment, God. Because where your presence is, Lord, there is freedom, there is joy, there is guidance. And Lord, we are going to prize your presence, be a people who prioritize your presence above everything else. Because Lord, where your presence is, things change. And without your presence, Lord, 
(laughs) We only get a temporary satisfaction, a momentary gratification. And so, Lord, we're sitting here preparing a space for you to move. So, Holy Spirit, would you move? You said where two or more gathered in your name, you're going to be there. And so, Lord, we invite you and we welcome you to be here. Father, we love you so much. And more importantly, you love us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to live, look, and love more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We are a distracted people, right? Like that's, that's not... It's not a surprise to most of us that we're a distracted people. And I'm not saying that Grace Covenant Church is a distracted people. We're a very focused people, obviously. But everybody else, right? Everybody else is a distracted people. I was uh, researching and Harvard did this uh, study. And it actually says that 47, uh, 47% of our waking time is spent in this uh, uh, um, state of mind they have coined mind-wandering. of our time is in this state of mind wandering. And and what mind wandering is, it's, it's it's the moments where you're sitting in line and all of a sudden you space out and you're thinking about what you're gonna do when you get home. It's it's the moments where you're in the office and you're typing an email and all of a sudden you forget why you're typing the email. It's the moments when you're at home and you're with your family, and then all of a sudden you think about, wow, I never saw that new Marvel movie. It's all of these moments where you're in one space, but your mind is in another, right? Your mind wandering. 47% of the time, almost half of our life, our waking hours are spent mind wandering. And, and people, obviously, if you're like me and what I thought is that the reason that we're mind wandering, it's that devilish social media, right? Now, it, it's because of all the socials. And, and if we just put down the phones, we would be more focused, right? But, but the study doesn't actually say that it's because of our phones or social media or even TV and movies. And people think that it's because of social media that we're so constantly mind-wandering. And that might have something to do with it. But this study actually says and reveals that it's not necessarily our environment that is the primary distraction, but actually our minds, our minds themselves. It's not just the things on the outside, but the things on the inside. And the things on the outside, sometimes we affect the things on the outside, hoping, believing, trusting that they'll change the things on the inside when they really have no power to. Mind wandering. And these distractions actually come from our own mind. It's the spacing out. It's the daydreaming. It's the thinking days in the future or days in the past. It's thinking about the snowstorm when you should be thinking about Jesus. Mind wandering. And when some of y'all got it, some of you didn't. But you know what's interesting is that we get to this point and what they said, and this, this was amazing to me because it just reaffirms that God comes before science. And I love science, but listen to this. The result of the study, Harvard psychologists say, the result of the study says that our attention needs to be shifted away, their language, not mine, shifted away from doing to being. That's their answer. It's not less social media. It's not declutter your life. It's shift away from a mentality of being a doer and now just being. 
John chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 1, two passages of scripture that sometimes, or we could see, is like, what do they have to do with each other? When we think about distraction and when we think about who we are and what we need to be for our community, for our families, and to our God, we think of these two scriptures or these two passages, and there might not necessarily be a correlation, but might I submit to you in the same way that we are a distracted people who need to focus on what it means to be and not to do, and we need to focus on how to be present now in the same way Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 11 have a vital importance and significance on what it means for us to understand the power of presence. And we're going to take a look at that now. You see, because if distraction is the enemy, then devotion is the remedy. If distraction is the enemy and our focus is to focus on the presence of God and the power of presence, then that means that devotion is the remedy. And a people fully devoted to God will experience the presence of God and they will prioritize the presence of God. When we focus and prize and prioritize the presence of God, all of a sudden we stop looking outward and we start looking. And it's the difference between the doing and the being. I understand the presence of God changes me and now my attention is shifted. I understand there's a power to the presence. What we're going to define presence as is for us fully engaging your mind, will, and emotions where your feet are. Fully engaging your mind, your will, and your emotions, some call the soul, fully engaging your soul where your feet are. Oftentimes we think days in the future, days in the past, hours in the future, years in the past, but fully engaging my mind, will, and emotions where my feet are because God's presence has power. Genesis chapter, chapter 1. When we see that God's presence has power, it reveals to us a truth that now your presence has power. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. And when we look to Genesis 1, what we see here is that as we are made in the image of God, now our characteristics display and mirror reflect back to the earth our image, which is our God. We see in Genesis chapter 1 that uh, 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 we see the Lord hovering over the waters of the deep. His presence is there. And then we see right here the characteristics that we were made in his image. We were created in his image for a few things. One, we were created in his image to rule and to reign. One, two, to create. Three, to work. And I believe four, to be present. We were created in his image to rule and to reign, to create, to work, And I believe to be present. Why? Because when we create life, we are bearing image of our image bearer. When we actually uh, uh, cooperate with God in the participation of creating life, we are reflecting back to him who he has made us to be. When we are creative in, in, in creative processes, music and art and architecture, what that means is that you now are reflecting back to God, his image bearing on your life. And now you are saying, God, because you first created, now I am creative. When you rule and reign in your family, when you are leading well, 
when you are actually taking the authority that God has given you? Well, you are reflecting your image maker, which means now because he first ruled and reigned, now I rule and reign. When we think about work, God created the world in six days rested on the seventh. When I work well, when I am an employee that honors my employer, when I work unto my uh, 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 um, employer as if I'm working to the Lord, I actually reflect the image of Christ. Why? Because he worked first. And when I'm present, when I'm fully engaging my mind, will, and emotions where my feet are, I am reflecting the image of God because he was present first. His spirit, Genesis 1, chapter, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what? The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That God was present first. And because I'm made in his image, now my presence has power. Not in and of myself, but because his presence has power, my presence now has power. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Paul will say it like this. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. The scripture says that you have a smell. And isn't it interesting to think about that your life has a smell? There's an aroma that comes off of you. There's something that comes out of you. Your life actually has a smell. And, and, and did you know that actually you, smell is your sense that's most closely linked to memory? So, so, so that's why when you smelled your, your, that, that one dish and you remember that your grandma used to make it, it takes you right back like 30 years. Or that's remember when you smell grass and it takes you back to, to, the, to, the, to the football field in high school and you remember just getting clocked by that dude one time. Or maybe you smell that perfume and it was the same thing that your mom used to wear. And you just like, you remember the sweet times that you had with her. Smell is actually your sense that's most closely linked with memory, when people smell you, what are they reminded of? Because your life has a smell. Your life has, has a smell. There's an aroma coming off of you. One from death to death and the other from life to life. What does your life smell like? When people leave your presence, what are they left with? Are they left with life? Are they left with encouragement? Are they left feeling seen, known, and loved? Or were you absent-minded always somewhere else? Your life has a smell. C.S. Lewis says presence like this as the point to which time touches eternity. Being fully present where your feet are. Because if distraction is the enemy, then devotion is the remedy. Our presence speaks to people about our God. When we are absent-minded and focused on everything else, not fully where our feet are, we are saying something to another image bearer that says, this is not as important as that. And our presence testifies about our God. Why? Because he was present first. 
So now when we are present and we realize that our presence has power, we invest inherently into honoring another image bearer just by being present with them. He's saying, Lord, I believe that my presence matters, my presence has power, and you have made them to be another image bearer. So I'm going to be fully present in my mind, will, and emotions where my feet are with this person, therefore honoring you because they are another image bearer. I'm going to use the power that you've given me to honor this other person. The power of presence. Your family needs your presence. Your community needs your presence. Your city needs your presence. They don't need another, a, a bunch of absent-minded people who are going through life, always waiting for another thing in the future and always reminiscing about another thing in the past. They need you fully where your feet are. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. First verse I memorized. <laughs> Jesus wept. This verse was so interesting to me because how did Jesus weep? How does a fully omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God weep? I mean, if you look a few verses earlier, the context of what we see is that Jesus has been doing miracles. He's made some great friends. He has some faithful followers. And now some of his best friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're some of his best friends who are in Judea. And Jesus has spent a lot of time in Judea. But the issue is that now Lazarus has fallen deathly sick. And Mary and Martha are saying, Lord, the man whom you love, that's who they say, the man whom you love is sick. We need you to come and heal him. And then Jesus says, yeah, yeah, okay, but this sickness won't end in death, so don't worry. Jesus stays where he is. A few days later, Lazarus passes away. Mary and Martha are distraught. Jesus then comes to Judea. After Lazarus has passed away, people are weeping, crying, mourning. Lazarus is in the tomb. And we find Jesus coming to this place after prophesying that this sickness won't end in death. And spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus, in the middle, weeps. Why did the prophet who knew he was going to raise Lazarus weep before he did? Jesus wept. I believe that it's because Jesus was fully present. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus, and he knew that Mary and Martha were still mourning. He was, he was fully engaging his mind, will, and emotions where his feet were. And he was engaging with the people See, Jesus knew, but they didn't. And so Jesus was, she's so sweet. Jesus was meeting them where they were. Jesus was sitting with them. Jesus wept. You see, Jesus was fully God and he was fully man too. 
And Jesus was not just fully leaning into his fully God part and saying, no, I'm not going to have any emotions, even though God has emotions, but we don't think he does. And he, we're saying, well, no, 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 like, like, like Jesus probably wouldn't do that. Like that doesn't make a lot of sense. There's probably another reason. And maybe there might've been some other reasons, but what we see in scripture is that actually it says, once Jesus wept, everybody looked and said, man, see how he loved him. And when Mar- Mary and Martha were trying to convince him to come and see him, they said, the man with the man you love is sick. I fully believe that Jesus's tears were connected to his love. Jesus wept with Mary and Martha. And I'm not sure what you're going through in this moment, in this season of life, but I hope that you're encouraged that Jesus wept with Mary and Martha and Jesus will weep with you. Wherever you're at. That Jesus knows where it's going to be. He who started a good and work in you will see it to completion and he'll weep with you. The prophet who weeps, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He can fully see the end result. He knows the glory that's going to come out of this. He's the God who said, actually, that if you believe in him, those who love him and are called according to his purposes, that all things are going to work together for good. And even the God who knows that it's going to be good still weeps when it's bad. Jesus weeps. Jesus wept. And and, and, then here's the part about the presence that really matters to me because when I was reading the scripture, if you go back from verse 33, just a few verses back to verse seven, it's really crazy because Jesus knew that his presence had power because in verse seven, he actually says, let us go back to Judea. That's what Jesus says. But it's interesting because the disciples are saying, no, 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 no. We shouldn't go back to Judea. Why? We've been to Judea and they want to kill us in Judea. They're trying to stone you in Judea. So let's not go back there, Jesus. That sounds like a really, really bad idea. And Jesus says, no, 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 we need to go back to Judea. So they said, okay, you know what? We're going to do it. And then Jesus insists on going back to this city. Now, it's really interesting that Jesus insists to go back to the city because Jesus did not need to be there to heal him. We just found out. In this exhortation that Pastor Ray shared, that Jesus doesn't need to be there to heal you physically. Right? Jairus' daughter, Jesus didn't need to be with Jairus' daughter. He spoke a word and she was healed. We see that Jesus didn't need to. And we even see in John chapter 4, a few verses, a few chapters before. He says that Jesus was in the town of Cana, and as he was there, this man from Capernaum, this royal man from Capernaum comes to him and says, please, you need to help me. My son, he's dying, and I need you to come and save him. I heard that you can do miracles. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, these people will never believe unless they get a sign. Go back home. Your son is going to live. This man goes back home in faith and then goes and sees and gets a word that his son is going to live. Now, it's so interesting because a few chapters before, in John chapter four, we see somebody coming to Jesus, pleading with him to save a family member, physically come back and help him. Jesus says, no, I'll just say a word. Then we go to John chapter 11, people pleading with Jesus to come and save a family member. And then he says, wait, I'll be there. Jesus didn't need to be there to heal Lazarus. So why was he? Because Jesus knew that presence has power. Because Jesus knew 
that presence has power. They didn't just need Jesus's presence. I mean, they didn't just need Jesus's power. Mary and Martha needed Jesus's presence in this moment because Jesus's presence offers a grace that Jesus's power doesn't. They're different. And if Jesus's power shows you that he's in control, Jesus's presence shows you that he's close. They're different graces. And God knew that the grace that Mary and Martha needed was his presence, not just his power. So Jesus goes back to Judea, willing to risk the death, willing to risk everything. And he, he goes to meet them and he weeps with them. He weeps with them. It's beautiful that we have a God and also maybe frustrating that we have a God who will sit with us in our pain before he fixes it. You know, that God's not thinking that his power is more urgent than his presence is. Even though maybe it's like some, some great charismatics or faithful Jesus followers, we always want the power of God and for God to do something and, and, and do something great and do a miracle and save the day. And God might do that. I believe that God will do that. And we see here that Jesus himself is not prioritizing and saying that his power is more urgent than his presence is. And so what he chooses to do is he chooses to sit with Mary and Martha before he fixes the problem. And as he sits with them in this power, we now realize that this is vital for us to realize. It's vital for us to realize that we have a God who sits with us before he fixes us. Because then we start to model our presence after him. And when we do that, and when we choose to sit with people before we fix people, it takes people from being a project to fix to a person to love. If we always try and fix the problem for people, we are project managers. When we start to truly sit with people, we're Jesus followers. Jesus doesn't just see us as problems to fix. He's not just concerned with making the bad things stop. He's saying, here, let me sit with you. I know it hurts. Let me, not let me just sit with you. Let me weep with you. Let me feel this pain with you. I'm no, yes, we'll get to the power. We'll get to the solution. We'll get to the good. We'll get to the glory. We'll get to the heaven. We'll get there. We'll get there. Jesus is taking us when we're with him. We'll get there, church. But Jesus in this moment is saying, would, can I just sit with you in this for a minute? God who's outside of time says, let me just, let me just sit with you for a moment. And, and this is so important, especially for men especially for men, because when we see something wrong, we make it right. It, it, if you're a man, right? Like if I see something wrong, my goal is to make it right. If someone presents me with a problem, my first thought is, let me just sit with you in this for a minute. No, it's okay. What's the problem? What's the solution? How can I fix this? Here's our five-step plan. Let's move forward, right? Like, you know what I'm talking. We see a problem and we immediately go into problem fixing mode. Because that's what we think that's the best course of action. You wouldn't bring me a problem if you didn't want my answer. <laughs> Says a lot about us, right? <laughs> Whoops. And, sorry, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. Your, your man, whoever that man is, he's great. This is me. 
When we see a problem, we try and fix the problem. And and the issue with that, and I'm not saying problem fixing is bad, but the issue with that is we can end up taking away the problem and still not benefiting the person. Because the problem is gone. It might be fixed. But the presence was never felt. Your presence with that person was never felt. It was never there. And the problem, it's going to go away. (laughs) But what are they going to be left with? With you. Your presence has power because his presence has power. This is important for us to realize that we now see people not as projects to manage, but now people to love. (laughs) Your presence has power. And when we see that Jesus now sits with people before he fixes them, now we see that um, this models for us what type of people that we are going to be. It, It shows us that when I look at Jesus, this is the way that he loves people, is that he doesn't rush beyond them to fix them, but he, he actually sits with them. And in the sitting with them is the presence of God is felt in his Power. Now, when we see that we have a present Jesus, it fuels us to be a present people. That's our fuel. It's our motivation. That is the engine. The thing that makes the engine run is seeing that Jesus is a present God now makes us a present people. So now I say, I'm going to be there for you the same way that Jesus was there for Mary and Martha. I'm going to be there for you in the dark in the ugly, in the toxic, in the scary, in the hopeless, in the uncertain times. I'm going to choose to be there with you in those places. I'm going to choose to be there with you when your heart is broken. I'm going to choose to be there with you when the dream has died. I'm going to choose to be there with you when you didn't get into the school. I'm going to choose to be there with you when you had no money and no job. I'm going to choose to be there with you when you felt like you lost everything that you had. I'm going to choose to be there with you when you lost that loved one. I'm going to choose to be there with you when you felt like your kids were as far away from Jesus as they've ever been. I'm going to choose to be there with you when you felt like your marriage was a wreck. Why? Because our presence has power. I'm going to choose to be there with you, be there with you, be there with you. And here's the thing. We, we, we have to focus in church to, to not project, but to process in this moment. Because sometimes if, if you're like me in church, you've been in church for a while, you hear a message and then you say, wow, that would be great for them. They should really listen to this message. I, you know, I'm going to, as soon as they put on YouTube, I'm going to send this to them right away. And we're sitting in the message about being present, not being present, and think about who we're going to send a message about being present to so that they can be present. This is a moment where it's really important for us to process before we project. Don't project this onto somebody else to say, I'm going to send this to my mom because she was not very nice to me this past. I'm, you know what? My brother or, or you know, my, my grandson, he would, no, no, no. And that might be great. Send this message. Absolutely. But don't forget to process before you project. And what is is God doing in you right now? What does this mean for for you sitting in the seat, you watching online, not just to see a video and a person on a screen and not just to say, this was great. I got my church in. Let me post it on Instagram. But to actually process whatever God is doing in you. Because your presence has, has power. 
<laughs> Processing it for yourself. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, I'm here for you. No, I'm not going to think about that. They weren't there for me. I'm not going to project. I'm, I'm here for you. 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 Some of us, that's the takeaway from the message is I'm here for you. To nudge the person to your right and say, I'm here for you. You're like, no, they, no, pastor, they know that. Like, they, they know I'm here for them. I'm in church with them. No, to, to nudge the person to your right and to tell them, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. To, to, to text the person uh, that you haven't talked to in a while and say, hey, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. To look at your spouse and say, I'm here for you. No, pastor, we're married. Of course I'm here for them. They know I'm here for them. No, 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 no. Why don't you tell them? When was the last time you told them, not just that you're married to them, but that you're here for them? When was the last time you told your kid that I'm here for you? I'm here for you. Don't, you don't need to worry. I'm, I'm here for you. My presence, I'm going to choose to be here for you. I'm, I'm here for you. Because sometimes in church, we assume so many things, right? No, we're church people. Of course we're here for people. Of course we're present with people. Of course we're going to be there for people. But oftentimes I've realized that things that we assume the most are the things oftentimes that we overlook the most. The things that are most easily assumed are sadly the things that are most tragically overlooked. We assume that we're all here for each other and never end up actually being there for each other. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm not just going to do something for you, but, but I'm here for you. I'm here for you. What would it look like if we are a church that was here for you? I'm present, fully present with you for your spouse, for your kids, for your small group, for your friends, for your teachers, for your city, for the people who don't know Jesus yet, that your presence has power to be able to show part people who don't know who he is. Because here's the thing, you can experience his presence. You're in church, you know God, but they don't yet. And your presence might show them a power in Christ. And when you say, I'm going to be here for you, I'm going to fully engage my mind, will, and emotions where my feet are, and I'm going to choose to be present with you in this current circumstance, it testifies about who your God actually is. Why? Because your presence brings life. What does your life smell like? Your presence brings life. And here's the truth. If you follow Jesus, where you go, life follows. You don't believe me. Paul says, we learned this last week, that do you not know that your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit? And we see that God does not give himself in part. We learned this last week, that the presence of God is God. The presence of God is God. So when God says that he's with you, he's not saying that he's blowing down from heaven and giving you a little of God uh, 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 energy. He's saying, no, I myself will be with you. So now the presence of God is God. My temple now is a carrier of the Holy Spirit. I now go and life follows. So church, if you follow Jesus, you're a born again Christian. Where you go, life Life follows. You are now a dispenser of life. Because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, your life now dispenses life. It leaks it out. 
which means you can go into a toxic work environment and then even though it's toxic, you can bring peace because you are just dispensing life. That means that you can go into a messed up family situation and say, it's always been like this. But you know what? He told me that my presence has power and that I'm actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. So maybe, just maybe something might be different this time. And all of a sudden that family dinner doesn't look like what it used to look like. That means that you can go into the dorm room after you, after you are after break and you can say, I know my roommate's crazy and my whole dorm room smells like something it shouldn't smell like. But maybe, just maybe, my presence might have power now. And I'm going to be able to go into this place and dispense life. Not because I have power, but because God has power. And now where I go, life follows. You're now a dispenser of life. That's who you are. the, The very spirit of God that was hovering over the deep in Genesis chapter 1 said, I choose you to dwell in. So now if the spirit of God that was hovering over the deep and created every living, creeping thing on the earth, you, me, and every star, and says, now I choose to make you the host of my presence, and we walk thinking that we're gonna walk in defeat because everything in the past has looked like death, let me remind you that the spirit of God is on the inside of you and where you go life follows listen we know that life can be crazy life can be crazy and we need to be a church of thermostats not thermometers Right? That, 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 what does a thermostat do? A thermostat is something that changes the temperature. A thermometer is something that just tells the temperature. I don't need somebody to tell me that the country's in disarray. Great. You're very smart. I don't need somebody to tell me that people need this. Okay, great. Yo, I know that. I don't need people to tell me and diagnose the situation. I need someone to come in and change the situation. See, we, my, the AC in my room broke last year. It was the worst four days of my life. I was sweating for four days. I was sitting in my room sweating and sleeping. And, and, and when that moment happened, I didn't need somebody to come in and say, hey, do you know that your AC is broken? It's 92 degrees. Yes, I know that my AC is broken. I don't need someone to come into my family and say, hey, did you know that that's not the way that I don't need you to come into my family and tell me that my family's jacked up. I know. When you, when you go to work, <laughs> Ooh, I got too close. Whoops. But should I stop? Should I not say that? Whew. Uh-oh. I don't need somebody to tell me that my, never mind, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop right there. I'm just, I'm going to be wise. I'm going to use some self-control. I'm just going to move past this point. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Y'all made me lose my place. I don't need somebody to come in and tell me about the situation. I need somebody to come in and change it. And let me tell you, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, someone whose presence has power, your life is now a dispenser of life. Everywhere that you go, life follows. And now we see ourselves not as somebody who can just diagnose the times. We have the presence of God to speak and to change something into every situation that we walk in. Why? Because your presence 
has power. Your presence has power. I wonder what it would look like if we were a people who were fully present with God and fully present with each other. Not in and of ourselves on some mindfulness. I'm just going to be more aware, but to say, Lord, I believe that you have made me in your image and your presence has power. Therefore, my presence has power because you have made me to have power where I stand. And now your spirit dwells on the inside of me. And I choose now to be fully present and engaged. Heart, mind, will, and emotions, my soul where my feet are. And I choose to tell people I'm here for you. I choose to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. And I choose to follow you wherever you would go to weep with people when they weep. Because here's the thing. It says that actually his presence, his presence is a refuge for us. And let me tell you, if there's one thing that our city needs right now, it is a refuge. Would you maybe be the people who show God's presence in this city? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are submitting, God, our mind, our will, and our emotions to you. And Lord, we're saying that you <laughs> change things when you get there. And Holy Spirit, you have made us to be a carrier of that same power. And so Lord, we choose to be fully present we choose to acknowledge the power of presence and to say that Jesus knew that there was a power in his presence. The Spirit knew that there's a power in presence. And because we have been given your Spirit, there's a power in our presence for things to change when we get there. God, we're believing that things are going to change this year. That where we go, life follows. And Lord, I don't know every situation. But Lord, give us the faith to believe that you are true and that life is our portion. And Lord, as we drink deeply from you, would it overflow into our families? our cities, our workplaces, our friendships, our dorm rooms, our conference rooms, our board rooms, our Zoom rooms. Lord, would your presence flow?